Welcome to the Brian Buffini Show, where we explore the mindsets, motivation, and methodologies of success. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Top of the morning to you, and welcome to the Brian Buffini Show. I have a real treat in store for you today, as I'm going to share some content that I presented some years ago at our flagship event called the Mastermind Summit, and it's called the Rockefeller Way. I'm going to share with you a little bit about John D. Rockefeller's story. I'm going to share with you his 10 principles that he lived his life by and passed on to his family. And then third of all, I'm going to share with you some of the impact his family has had upon the world. John D. Rockefeller is the classic rags to riches story. Born in 1839 in New York, he was the oldest of five children. Had a very rough childhood, grew up in poverty, and yet went on to become what is still considered today as the wealthiest man in U.S. history. In today's money, he amassed a fortune of over $400 billion. Now, his father, William Avery Rockefeller, was a con man, often referred to as Devil Bill. Now, he would disappear for months on end, show up at the Rockefeller home for a couple of days, take whatever money the family had, and then disappear again for months on end. He actually was a snake oil salesman. He pretended to be deaf and mute, and when you took the elixir, you could hear and see. He actually was a bigamist who married another woman secretly. He had a number of children with her and a number of children all over the country. In the words of his day, he was considered a ne'er-do-well. Now, John D. got his first permanent job as a 16-year-old as a bookkeeper's assistant. And from then on, every year, he celebrated the anniversary of that first job, which he said was more important to him than his birthday. He lived till he was 97. And so for 81 years, he celebrated September 26th as job day. The quote he ascribes to that was, all my future seemed to hinge on that day. He reminisced later in life. He said, I often tremble when I ask myself the question, what if I had not got that job? So he learned business that way. He learned from a businessman that way. He learned to keep books and uh, ledgers and accounts. And by the time he was 24, he entered the oil business. Now, this was back in 1863, and he invested in an oil refinery in Cleveland. In 1870, he formed the Standard Oil Company of Ohio, along with his younger brother and investors. Now, oil was the primary lighting source until the introduction of electricity. And after that, it was the main fuel after the invention of the automobile. So Standard Oil ended up controlling 90% of the oil in the United States. In 1911, the Supreme Court ruled that Standard Oil was in violation of antitrust laws and it was dismantled. What happened then was that monopoly of a company got broken up into 34 separate entities which turned into be a giant windfall for Rockefeller, who still had over a quarter of the stock after his retirement. This is what ultimately led to that giant fortune. And some of those companies still live today as ExxonMobil or Chevron and Moco and Canoco and you name it. All the Ocos are worth a fortune. Just to give you context, after the breakup of the company, his net worth, he was the first billionaire in America, his net worth was 2% of the entire American economy. Now, 
the reason we're talking about John D today is not that he was just a guy who grew up in a tough situation and went on to become a billionaire. He did something more than that. First, he lived by a set of principles that he tried to adhere to his whole life. Those principles led not only to his own personal success, but produced a legacy of the most philanthropic family in the history of the world. His children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren went on to become hugely successful and giant givers in their own right. I believe this had more to do with the principles that he lived by than the money that was left to these folks. And uh, what's interesting is if you ever get to New York City and you ever get to what's called 30 Rock, so it's Rockefeller Center, it's where the NBC studios are based, it's where the famous ice skating rink is that all the tourists go to see. And what always fascinates me is every time I go to New York, I always go there, is everybody goes to 30 Rock, everybody goes to take a photograph there where the ice rink is, and yet there's very few people look around because 25 yards away from the ice rink is a stone monument. And the stone monument is a series of principles that Rockefeller attempted to live his life by and basically lays out for himself the reasons for his success. Now, what I always find amazing is that so many people will walk by that, don't see it's there, will see the ice rink, see the building, see this, see that, know the Rockefeller name. But the man laid out for people, if you want to actually be a little bit more successful, here's his I Believes. So I'm going to share with you right now, for the next few minutes, these 10 I Believes. They're very, very powerful. Some of them, again, it's written almost 100 years ago. So you could say in modern sensibilities, some of them might need refinement or adjustment into today's dialogues. But similarly, I would say that every one of these principles is very applicable today in our world today to help cut through all the clutter, cut through all the noise, cut through all the social media, all the talking heads on TV and all the people wringing their hands on the news saying the world's coming to an end. So here's uh, 10 principles. I have actually a copy of this hanging up in my office. And I look at it at some point in time every day. And it causes me to think through the process for myself. It's what do I believe? Here's uh, John D. Rockefeller's I Believes. Number one, I believe in the supreme worth of the individual and in his right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Pretty powerful. But I think when I think of those words, the supreme worth of the individual. So when I think about that principle and I think about every single person that I meet, whether they're I'm walking around the office and meeting them, whether there's somebody staring back at me at a seminar, whether there's someone standing on a street corner with a sign in their hands, that if every person I meet, I believe, is of supreme worth, it changes me. It changes me. It changes my interactions. It changes how I go through my day. So the supreme worth of the individual. And then right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Well, we obviously know that's part of what uh, America was built on. Number two, he said, I believe that every right implies a responsibility and every opportunity an obligation and every possession a duty i'm just going to say this is brilliant stuff for today and again we wring our hands and what's this the society doing today and where are we and a lot of discussions today about rights very little conversations today about responsibilities lots of people will challenge and fight for opportunity but obligation that's kind of a dirty word and then every possession has a duty. Now think about that. Every possession has a duty as opposed to the guy with the most toys wins. So every right has a responsibility. 
Every opportunity has an obligation. It's just brilliant stuff. And so I think about that. I think about that. Like for me as an immigrant, I always want to work very hard so that my kids have opportunity. I'm not interested in my kids being guaranteed success or even what the outcome of what they do is. But I am very, very interested in fighting to give them opportunity. But with that opportunity always comes an obligation. And then as you succeed in life, every possession has a duty. That gets away from the frivolous. And that gets away from possession for possession's sake. Brilliant stuff. Principles don't change. Tactics do. This stuff was good 100 years ago. I think it's great today. The third, I believe, in the Rockefeller Center is I believe that the law was made for man and not man for the law. That government is the servant of the people and not their master. Okay, you know I don't cover politics on this show, but that's just a great principle. The law was made for man and not the other way around. Government is the servant of the people and not their master. And I know that's a high ideal. I know there's people who sometimes got to Washington or wherever else in elected life, and they may even have that desire, and then bit by bit, it becomes very, very easy to understand that the concept of a public servant, that you're actually there to be served by the public. Brilliant stuff. And I think that's good stuff today. Whoever would stand on that, I'd vote for. Number four, I believe in the dignity of labor, whether the head or the hand, that the world owes no man a living, but that it owes every man an opportunity to make a living. And again, you'll see this throughout, which is freedom with responsibility. You'll see this throughout his principles. I love the concept of the dignity of labor. Many times today, success is portrayed as the person who invents the app that sells it for a billion dollars and now buys an island off in the South Pacific, and they're sitting in a hammock. The dignity of labor. There's just something very, very powerful about the actual concept of work, and there's a dignity to it for an individual, whether with the head or the hand. So whether it's a tradesman or whether it's a white-collar worker, there is no difference. There's a dignity in both of that. That the world owes no man a living, that's dealing with entitlement. And we know that that's a hot topic today. And many of the older generation will look back and hammer the um, millennial generation and talk about entitlement. And I believe those concepts were handed down and inherited more than they were picked up by one generation and never heard of by another. The world owes no man a living. It owes every man an opportunity to make a living. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. We're not entitled to anything. This is a guy that became the wealthiest man in the world, but he was thinking, hang on a second here. I celebrate the day I got the job when I was a 16-year-old. I view it that way. I remember where I came from. I remember the opportunity of my first job. You know, the supreme worth of the individuals, so the people working for him, no matter what labor they're doing, whether the head or the hand. Great, great stuff. Number five, I could do a whole class on this. This is why this guy actually managed to build the fortune he built. He said, I believe that thrift is essential to well-ordered living and that economy is a prime requisite of a sound financial structure, whether in government, business, or personal affairs. So it's a principle, thrift. Thrift is an old word that was what we would call budgets. That's what we would call controlling our expenditures, thrift having a plan, sticking to the plan, and trying to beat it by not spending more than you bring in, whether you're a government, a business, or personal affairs, okay? Our government today, I don't care what political party anybody belongs to, 
it's very obvious right now with the last four budgets that have been passed, the last 12 budgets that have been passed in the United States, thrift is not even uh, at the table. In the last 12 consecutive budgets in the United States, we spend more than we make, the debt goes up. In your own home life, if you spend more than you make, if you put stuff on credit card, if you buy stuff you can't afford, you are not going to have well-ordered living. Simple as that. It's a prerequisite for sound financial structure in government, in your business. Income less expenses equals profit. I mean, that's the most basic statement in the world. If you know how many times I sit down with business people, or I have people who come to our company for coaching, or the boards that I sit on, where someone always has a very sophisticated reason why they're spending more than they're making. There's always a justification for it. But that thrift from the wealthiest man who ever lived says, it's essential to well-ordered living. It's essential. So that's how to take care of business. Number six, I believe truth and justice are fundamental to an enduring social order. Brilliant stuff. Truth and justice. Concepts today that are under uh, attack. The April issue of Time magazine in 2017, the heading on the front page of Time was, Is Truth Dead? (laughs) You know, we live in a world today where people are fake news and this and that and all that kind of stuff. What's true? And then ultimately, justice. Justice is a very, very powerful thing. And these are the things that we must hold on to for our freedoms. This is what this guy was all about. I think this stuff is, is powerful today. He said, I believe in the sacredness of a promise and that a man's word should be as good as his bond and that character, not wealth or power or position, is of supreme worth. Now, I'm going to challenge because I hear this stuff all the time at different seminars and so on and so forth is that some people think sequentially is that okay I want to become successful I want to make money I want to build a real estate business or a successful business and then I'll invest and then I'll make a lot of money and then I'll start applying principles then I'll start giving and then I'll start not true this is the stuff that made this guy successful I believe in the sacredness of a promise that a man's word should be as good as his bond now I kind of grew up with that, you know, no contracts and, you know, doing business on handshakes. The fact of the matter is, those are old terms today. But I will tell you this, I have very sophisticated business today. I have in-house, on-staff attorneys. But I can tell you something from 31 years in business. Contracts are only as good as the person that's behind them. And that the power of your good name, that is ultimately the most valuable thing you have in your business. So the wealthiest man who ever lived says that character, not wealth or power or position, is ultimately of supreme worth. These are the principles he was passing on to his kids. This is the stuff he lived by. When I share with you about this man's family and what they did and what they went on to do, I think you'll see this, that this is probably in his family was lived out more than any other thing. I'll talk about John D. Rockefeller Jr., the biggest philanthropist in the history of the world, who was very thrifty himself who lived within his means in his own life, and who lived within the means of the Rockefeller business and the Rockefeller Foundation, so that projection over the next 10 years is the Rockefeller Foundation will give him away more money in the next 10 years than it did in the last 100, because they used the thrift principles, because they continued to let things build, because character was ultimately more powerful than wealth, power, or position. Great, great stuff. Number eight says, I believe that the rendering of useful service is the common duty of mankind, and that only in the purifying fire of sacrifice is the dross of selfishness consumed 
and the greatness of the human soul set free. So this year at our Mastermind event, I've been doing some research and getting ready for it, and I'm going to be encouraging people to get involved at a much deeper level in the area of service. Service as a process for, you know, really fulfilling your purpose as a human being. And it's been fascinating as I do my research. I can tell you about a hundred articles that I've pulled up that are written in the last 24 months that are all about serve and here's the benefits you get from service. Here's why you should serve and how it benefits you. Here's what happens in your life when you serve. Here's the things that happen to you. Here's the seven ways to serve and how it helps your life. I'm over and over and over and over and over again. And it is so bleeding self-consumed, I don't even know where to start. And the dynamic of actual sacrificing, to be selfless, to actually genuinely have a motivation with giving, with nothing, no expectation of return, just the sheer joy of it, the sheer profoundness of it, what it does for a human being to serve. And today we have to package it because we have become so self-consumed as a culture. We have become the selfie culture. And we are into ourselves and what it means to me, and I do this and what the benefits are for me, and it's constant. You know, I'm in a business that helps people grow and develop in their business and their life. I technically fall into the self-help business. I'm going to share with you the best thing about the self-help business is to get people off the self part and into the serve part. So I believe that the rendering of useful service is the common duty of mankind and that only in the purifying sacrifice is the dross of selfishness. So think about this. This guy eventually owned steel mills. So he saw how steel got purified. You put it in the fire, and the dross was all of the ore and all of the minerals that needed to burn off, that made steel weak. And that's what got purified. And so he would have a very strong, visceral image in front of his mind of what an actual steel plant looked like and smelt like, and that's the dross is what's burnt off, and that the purifying fire was sacrifice. Again, not words commonly thrown around today. Sacrifice, selfless versus selfishness, and then service rather than being served yourself. Brilliant stuff. Number nine, he said, I believe in an all-wise and all-loving God, named by whatever name, and that the individual's highest fulfillment, greatest happiness, and widest usefulness are to be found in living in harmony with his will. Powerful stuff. Number 10, I believe that love is the greatest thing in the world and that it alone can overcome hate, that right can and will triumph over might. Again, given the context of the time, this is a man born 25 years before the Civil War, where he came from, what he endured, the hurts and wounds he experienced in his own life, from the father background he had, fighting through, building this business, creating this dynamic, and then here are the principles that made him get there. And then he finishes up with love is the greatest thing in the world. Powerful stuff, powerful stuff. And I want to share with you, these all sound great. And again, many people go, you know, that's great to do at the end of the life. He had these principles written down and they were in his office from 1872, two years after he founded his company. He lived until 1937. And so for 55 years, these principles were in writing in front of him every single day. Ultimately, his eye was focused on those principles looking at those principles and trying to live up to those principles. And I guarantee he didn't live up to them every day. None of us do. But that was the goal, and that's what he was trying to do. I think those principles don't just apply to John D. Rockefeller. I think they're helpful for me, 
and hopefully uh, you think they're helpful for you. And there's a lot of talk today about legacy, and there's many a book being written on it. A lot of times it's this great grandiose stuff. But ultimately, I believe that principles that are lived out and then shared, especially in a family situation, will influence the following generations. And John D. Rockefeller's ultimate influence was on his children, his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren. Now, John D. himself, he actually spent the last 40 years of his life giving his money away. At 57, he retired, and he endowed the Rockefeller Foundation, which had the ambitious goal to promote the well-being of mankind throughout the world. And over the next 40 years, he gave away $500 million to various philanthropic causes. Now, that's $500 million starting in 1913. Imagine what that would be worth today. He did a few things, such as founded the uh, University of Chicago and funded that, the Rockefeller University, Central Philippine University, and then the General Education Board and the Rockefeller Foundation. The principles he lived by, he also taught to his son, John D. Jr. Now, he became the director of Standard Oil after his dad retired, but he also became the director at J.P. Morgan's U.S. Steel Company, which then became the largest company in the world. John D. Jr., he was best known because he gave even more money away than his father. His father only gave away $500 million. He gave away $537 million to a myriad of causes over his lifetime. Now, his son was Nelson Rockefeller, who went on to become the 41st Vice President of the United States and the 49th Governor of New York. He also served as the Chairman of the Rockefeller Center, which was one of the primary supporters of the arts in the world. His son was Rodman Rockefeller, and he was the Vice President and Chief Executive of the International Basic Economy Corporation, an absolute world-changing organization. So that's from John D. down to his great-grandson. And there was a bunch of other Rockefellers that did remarkable stuff. They founded all the public parks in New York City. John D. III received the Roger Horcho Award for the greatest public service by a private citizen in the world. Another Rockefeller got the Congressional Gold Medal for contributions to conservation and historic preservation. Yet another Rockefeller was the 37th governor of Arkansas. Another Rockefeller was a U.S. senator and governor of West Virginia. His son, the 13th lieutenant governor of Arkansas. And then four generations down, here's Winthrop Jr., who is also the head of the foundation, giving money away, but still has a fortune of over $1 billion. They built a fortune. They've given away a fortune. They've influenced their culture. I've shared with you John D.'s story. I've shared with you his principles. And now I've shared with you just some of the accomplishments of his family. To me, that's a life well lived. Perfect? No. Your life? My life? Nope. But this guy established a series of I believes that he had tried to live by every single day of his life. And the legacy of that was he taught those to his children, who in turn taught those to his children and then their children's children. I had a a neat opportunity here recently. My folks came into town, Beverly's folks came into town, and we had a photograph taken with four generations. So here's a great-grandfather, a grandfather, which is me, I can't believe that, my father, my son, and then his boy. So my mind's been on this stuff. So I saw that lived out in my own life here very recently. I'm going to share with you a life well lived is a life where your values are translated into those who come after you and those who come after them. So it's not so much important what 
Rockefellers I believes were as much as it is what are yours what are your I believes what is it you value have you ever taken five minutes to think of them have you ever sat down and thought what is it I believe what is it I want to adhere to every single day what is it I'd like to pass on to someone after me and so I've actually in my own life come up with some I believes in each area of my life in my financial circle in the family circle those kinds of things and also A few years ago when we taught this at Mastermind, people just loved it. And we created this really cool handout where people could post this in their office. And they were Rockefellers, I believe. And so I have this hanging up in my office. I look at it all the time. And uh, the team here thought, you might like a copy of this as well. So if you'd like one of these, go to com, and you can download the Rockefeller, I believe post them up, print it up on a nice card stock and put it where you can see it every day. Maybe it'll inspire you to come up with your own I believes. Here's the values you believe in that you're trying to work towards every day. And maybe it'll be something that uh, will inspire you. Maybe it'll be something that inspires the people who come after you. And before I get to a very special closing of our show today, I believe our producer, Mr. David Lally, he has a special message for you. Hey guys, I uh, don't know if you've heard about our Buffini Insiders, but if not, make sure you head over to thebrianbuffinishow.com where you'll get behind the scenes and exclusive content just for you. Again, thebrianbuffinishow.com. Head over, become a Buffini Insider today. And back to you, Brian. Thanks, David. Before I let you go, I uh, really enjoy hearing from you folks on all the different reviews you write, as well as emails and letters I'm receiving I'll pick out a couple here that I enjoyed. Natalie Winter just said, Brian, I just listened to your podcast with the legend Brian Tracy, and oh my gosh, great golden nuggets. I'm on my third full page of notes. Thank you. And Natalie, I'm glad you enjoyed that. Certainly, that was a favorite day of mine, hanging with the legend, Mr. Tracy. Uh, here's uh, Mary Nacaretto, and she says, Hi, Brian, I just finished listening to part two of How to Make It Big in America. How fortunate we are with all kinds of opportunity that surrounds us. I now have an appetite to explore my grandparents emigrating to Canada from Italy. What a journey it must have been for them. Not just miles, but the emotions of leaving your birth country and family, all in the hope of giving your kids a better life. I wish I was able to ask them what it was like and to tell them how grateful I am for them. Well, that's very apropos for today's show. So I have a special treat for you. I always like to end the show with the Irish Blessing. But I had a Popeye today. My mom and dad were in town, and my dad, for the first time in 86 years, recorded something on vinyl, and we uh, got it down. And so today I have a special treat for you. My dad is going to give you the Irish blessing instead of me. And uh, remember, if you enjoy the Brian Buffini Show, please tell your friends about it. We'd love to help them. May the roads rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sunshine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand.